Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show because I have invited to join us the oceanographer, conservationist, ocean protector, and grandson of the world-renowned Jacques-Yves Cousteau, Fabien Cousteau. Now, Fabien's been working with the environment, especially the oceans, for God knows his entire life. In fact, interestingly, he spent his early years aboard his famous grandfather's ships, Calypso and Alcyone, and he learned to scuba dive with his grandfather on his fourth birthday. Well, as you can see, he got an early start, an early jump on the importance of valuing our oceans and our earth altogether, and grew up with this kind of a deep, deep abiding respect for both the earth on land and the earth as ocean. And he's dedicated his life really to really protecting and educating people. He founded a very important center known as the Fabien Cousteau Ocean Learning Center. It's a nonprofit and it uh, does work about increasing public awareness around the world about the different things people can do proactively to assuage so much of the damage that we have done as a society to our precious oceans where they say we all began and whether we did or not there's a lot of life there and it's dying rapidly except for the work of people like Fabienne and others who have been so committed for so long to turning the health of the ocean around. Now, Fabienne has been known to be a, a, an ongoing um, participant in National Geographic specials and documentaries. He's been on television so many times in movies. He's specialized in uh, understanding the nature of sharks and uh, in fact is sort of in this really interesting book that is all about the great white shark adventure he's been on book tour about it actually it's a very fun kind of educational cartoon book that uh or i have a cartoon i should really say comic book and uh, that walks people through some of what is going on in our oceans and with the sharks in particular and helps people get aware of, educated about what's happening so we can be more at peace with these beautiful animals that are endangered as well as the rest of sea life. So without further ado, Fabien Cousteau, welcome to A Better World. A pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on and uh, what a, an amazing introduction. So thank you. Ah, yes, well, indeed. Well, you've deserved it all because this is, in fact, what you've been doing for so long, and you've been um, at it. You know, a very few of us could ever say that from age four, we said, you know, there's a serious problem. I, I was at least six. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, I actually didn't start till I was about 14, <laughs> but uh, you got an early yeah, jump on us, and you yeah, special circumstances. I'd say you're you're probably more in the norm of of people who are curious <laughs> yeah. about the ocean and want to scuba dive. That's okay. You you know you don't have to start from an early age. You can even start from an old uh, from a, from a from a venerable age if you'd like. Um, my father and I 
I remember uh, I taught an 83-year-old lady to scuba dive for the very first time. And so it's never too late, and it's uh, always a good time to start enjoying the aquatic ecosystem, which makes all life on this planet possible. Indeed, indeed. Well, that, that's wonderful. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, just if I may say at the beginning of our show that um, your grandfather was very much an inspiration to me. I loved watching him and his adventures on the sea and what he represented. And, in fact, it sounds funny, but when uh, I started studying French in, uh, at age oh, 12 or 13, um, and I didn't study it long enough, but we all had to take on a French name. And in honor of your grandfather, my name, je m'appelle Jacques. <laughs> so... <laughs> I was a tiny little fragment of your grandfather. <laughs> Isn't that a funny story? <laughs> that's that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but did you did you uh, did you have the the accent that you were carrying on from there? And now I dive into the briny deep. <laughs> I, I, <clears throat> the 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 wonderful romantic uh, aspects that uh, that people still remember to this day. Yes, that's right. That's right. No question about it. So you picked up the mantle, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're primarily doing? And by the way, if I may say, I just want to let everyone know that. Um, Fabienne Cousteau will be the keynote speaker at a wonderful event that's taking place on Sunday, April 21st. Uh, we've covered it already on A Better World, and we do pretty much every year, uh, which is the this time the 12th annual uh, Earth and World Peace Day that is being produced by Andrew Kane. It'll be taking place at 4 West 43rd Street from 3 o'clock to about 7.30, and we'll be celebrating uh, the Earth and Earth Day on that day, as well as the notion of world peace. The two really go well together, and we'll have lots of fun. Fabienne will be speaking. I'll be the host and MC. and uh, please, for more information, go to www.planetearth. Oh, um, that's not, not Planet Earth. I'm sorry. <laughs> Planetheart.org. Planetheart.org. I'm prepossessed by the Earth. So please, if you would, Fabian, tell us about your what you're doing now primarily, and about your center because that's been so important for so many people for so long. Well, you had a, a great summary there. I just got off of uh, my book tour, which has taken me to various parts of the United States because that's the, the, the uh, first uh, uh, set of stops, uh, and it's the first language that it was published in. The, uh, the book itself is an, is an illustrated book, a little bit like uh, the books I grew up with when, when I was a kid, uh, like the Tintin series of books. Uh, but it has not only a lens uh, on adventure, but also has uh, a quite a, uh, a serious uh, undercurrent of uh, science. And although it's, it's aimed at the 8 to 12-year-old audience, uh, there are a lot of young at heart who actually end up picking up the book and reading it themselves. It's a fantastic book for learning more about uh, sharks, about uh, the importance, their their history, the uh, the the numbers of species of sharks, that some of the variances therein, and and the, their importance in the ecosystem, 
whether we uh, we are fascinated by them or, or 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 frightened by them, hopefully it'll bring something to uh, any audience member that that might want to jump into uh, the book, uh, which is called The Great White Shark Adventure. One little tidbit that's mm-hmm. not really mentioned in the book, although uh, it should be, and something that I mention each time I stop somewhere is that. It's actually based on real-life expeditions that uh, I've done in the past, including building a shark-shaped submarine, which is in the book itself. Um, oh, my. Now, yeah. that, that is uh, definitely a small portion of what I do on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, the, the bandwidth is shared um, in equal parts uh, in my uh, filmmaking business, uh, documentary films. And uh, mm-hmm. that takes me in different parts of the world, traveling and, and uh, doing talking and speaking engagements, such as for Earth Day, uh, as well yep. as going out in the field, uh, like I've done, uh, like our family's done for now three generations. And that, that really uh, keeps my, my horizons uh, open and, and my mind uh, receptive uh, to, to what's going on in the world and, and stimulated. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I'm just a child at heart myself, and I, and I have uh, wanderlust. Yeah. And then uh, it's yeah. also shared, uh, you know, besides that, uh, we're also talking about um, uh, the Ocean Learning Center, which I believe you, you had mentioned earlier. Uh, the yeah. Ocean Learning Center is um, a wonderful platform for the nonprofit world that I, I share my time with as well, where we offer um, various um, uh, programs, uh, experiential and, and, and interactive programs that really foster uh, a better nurturing of our planet and a better understanding of our aquatic ecosystem through uh, different activities such as uh, mangrove planting and, and oyster restoration up here in the northeast of the United mm-hmm. States, um, uh, sea turtle restoration in Nicaragua, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, we, we even use uh, new technologies like 3D printing to uh, 3D print coral reef systems with uh, with organic materials. Uh, we've managed to hack those printers, and, and now we're using proprietary formulations that are organic and belong in the ocean to build better underwater cities, living cities that, that foster to coral reef restoration, which is a fundamental aspect of the web of life in the tropical and subtropical regions of our oceans. And of course, those are heavily affected by some of the major impacts that human beings are having on our planet in general. And so it allows for give back, it allows for uh, interaction amongst communities, uh, amongst com- uh, community members, amongst uh, uh, ourselves and, and the communities out there. And hopefully uh, everyone walks away with a sense of accomplishment, a sense of better understanding, and, and, and a sense of well-being for having done that much more for our, for our planet than we did yesterday. Mm, that is awesome. You, you just said a few things that are very new to me that I'd love to hear you expand on. Number one, the whole idea of coral reef restoration through 3D printing. And then you said that you hacked the printing in order to uh, come up with yet another level of organic material, what are you referring to? Are you saying that you can take, like, the great coral reef uh, and other great coral reefs um, and that are, I've seen video footage, they're, they're, they look like ghosts. 
It looks like a ghost town in so many ways. Are you saying that you're actually able to rebuild it even when the environment of the reef is still quite polluted? So I, I've obviously very uh, I've oversimplified the, the the actions, but there's a lot of science and a lot of, of trial and error that goes on behind the scenes and research that goes on behind the scenes. But essentially, a coral, uh, as seemingly uh, simple as it looks, is actually mm-hmm. quite a complex organism or set of organisms, and it has mm-hmm. a it's a basically a symbiotic relationship between the stony structure, which is what you, you, you mentioned in those videos, which are the, uh, the, the white skeleton of the coral, yes. and the fleshy, yes. pulpy polyps that uh, give it color and uh, give it ability, which is ozontheli, amongst other things, give it the ability to synthesize energy and create uh, building blocks to make those corals grow. And mm-hmm. so that symbiotic relationship between those two factors, they the fleshy part and the stony part are, are what allow coral reefs to, to live and thrive. And they're affected, especially the, the, the fleshy part, but even the, um, I keep saying fleshy parts, not flesh, but uh, the, mm-hmm. the organisms. And mm-hmm. the, uh, the stony aspect, which is actually based on calcium carbonate uh, or limestone, um, mm-hmm. th- those two are affected in various Same as ways. our bones. Now, it's essentially well, exactly. a skeleton. Exactly. Yeah. In, in a sense, in a sense. And, and what we're able to do with the, the 3D printing aspect of coral mm-hmm. reef rebuilding is you're building the fundamentals, right? You're, you're building the actual building itself. And mm-hmm. within which you're inviting the, the, the polyps, the, 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 the fleshy part, to come and inhabit a virgin structure. Now, that has... Uh, two advantages. First of all, you can tweak the the organic formulation to stimulate coral, uh, to invigorate it, and 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 give it a, a leg up on a lot of the things that unfortunately attack coral reefs. Uh, pollution being one of them, which you mentioned. Um, yeah. um, acidification, which is an effect of climate change related issues, uh, which is essentially uh, uh, triggered uh, mainly by things like the absorption of CO2 in the atmosphere. Uh, the oceans absorb about half of man-made CO2 in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and convert it uh, into uh, uh, something called carbonic acid. And carbonic acid uh, creates a, a, a higher pH in the oceans. As a matter of fact, our oceans are now about 25% more acidic than they used to be. And that yeah. unfortunately attacks calcium carbonate structures, including coral reefs and, and shellfish and, and all sorts of zooxanthellae, so baby, thing, baby animals, and so on and so forth. Anything with a calcium carbonate structure. And yeah. so it weakens shells, it weakens structures and all that. So if you can tweak the formulation to, re- to better resist this, all while staying within the, the, uh, the organic parameters that are uh, present in the ecosystem and natural in that environment, uh, then you can give a leg up to the foundations of coral. Additionally, we invite um, um, the acceleration of evolution within uh, uh, coral families, especially individual coral families that have certain resistances to things like temperature variations, which expels ozonthalic from the uh, actual stony structure. So in, in order to be able to actually do uh, coral restoration, you have to address all the varying factors. Now, ultimately, yeah. of course, 
you can't do any of this uh, until at least the majority of the problems are addressed locally speaking. Uh, climate change related issues are much more difficult to address locally, obviously, but mm-hmm. in terms of pollution runoff and chemicals and, and, and trash and all that, though, <clears throat> and, and, and the depletion of, um, of uh, forager animals, now, mm-hmm. all those things are, are, are uh, easily remedied uh, with, with certain actions locally. So in order to be able to to create a, a a successful program, you have to address all those factors. Now that can sound daunting and, and certainly can be very complex. But mm-hmm. um, if on the surface of it, you can engage the general public in the proactive actions of not only designing their own 3D coral and printing it out, but also helping uh, help helping them install it in that uh, in that restoration site they're getting a better understanding of the entirety of the picture and why coral reefs are bleaching and why in that case and in that area, they, the ocean is, is dying. And so there's a better understanding and it falls right into what my grandfather used to tell me when I was growing up, which is people protect what they love. They love what they understand and they understand what they're taught. And if we're mm-hmm. able to shepherd them in that understanding yes. in a proactive, fun way, then uh, hopefully they walk away with uh, a a love for the ocean. God, yes. I'm falling in love with it more and more with every sentence you speak. So there's something that's working here. Um, And I was already in love with it. Uh, But what are you seeing as the uh, effects of what you're doing? Because it's phenomenal what you're saying, because, of course, the coral reef is the foundation of the food chain, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, essentially, that its interaction with the ocean around it is a an O2 CO2 exchange to some extent and that gives rise to the smallest of creatures which then begin to grow and and uh, morph into larger ones and gives us the entirety of sea life and you know some say was the beginning of our lives you know whether you know that's a whole other conversation but mainly the restoration of the vitality of the ocean could, you know, it's an un, of unspeakable importance. And so as you're traveling around the world, Fabian, are you seeing these types of projects uh, actually turn the coral reefs that have been so endangered around? I mean, can you see it visibly with your own eyes? Well, the, in terms of 3D printing, coral, it's a very innovative approach, one that uh, that we've been pioneering Truly. and something that, that, is not, uh, that is not a widespread tactic uh, for many reasons. First, it's very complicated. Secondly, yes. it's uh, very expensive. Um, and right now, most coral restoration activities are based around fragging of corals or fragmenting of, of, uh, of corals to make smaller pieces and have uh, essentially what is asexual reproduction happen uh, through nurseries and then the uh, the relocation of those larger um, coral structures to their final destination and uh, and by and large, for the most part, the majority of of those activities are based around aquapora, which is alcorn and stagone coral for the most part, which are fast growing corals but they 're not reef builders 
they they are okay. uh, they are essential corals there. They've been wiped out in many parts, especially in the Florida Keys and and so on and so forth for for various uh-huh. reasons. And so that's definitely a necessary activity, but it it uh, it doesn't address the fact that we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of species of coral out there. And and as a piece of background information, coral grows anywhere from a centimeter a year to a centimeter a century, depending on the type of coral we're talking oh, about. You know, it's deep water, you know, shallower, and so on. So so mm-hmm. is this going to be the ultimate? Um, um, uh, silver bullet uh, solution? Absolutely not. Uh, is it um, is it a worthwhile activity and something we should look into and scale up? I I do believe it gives us a lot of opportunities and uh, and certainly not only on the education front uh, but also to build hope spots uh, and that mm-hmm. and that in itself uh, is something that's very much necessary. But we need to really address the, the fundamental root problems. Uh, in order to address the long-term issues that we as a species mm-hmm. are going to face, much less, of course, the rest of our um, uh, sentient beings out there. And that's yes. uh, pollution, overconsumption of natural resources, and, of course, climate change-related issues. Indeed, indeed. No, I agree, I agree. I'm, I'm just, the the novelty of 3D printing, which is novel in itself, even though it's been around now for some years, I think most of us who have not looked into it in depth uh, are still awed by its potential. And the thought of grafting it into a situation like this is is just like super novel. And um, I I, I really commend you um, in, in really pioneering this this application of that technology and to the extent, but what I wanted to ask is, are you seeing visible um, upgrades to these coral reefs through what you're doing? I mean, is it at this point, I mean, it's probably very early on, but are you seeing positive changes? Yeah. So that's a a great point. And I I meant to address that. My apologies for for skipping over that. Um, no, no, it's okay. it is. It, it, you know, we've been working on this for a couple of years now, and um, mm-hmm. tweaking the formulations. And, and as we keep moving forward, we're seeing more and more progress to the point now where, by addressing both the the local problems, uh, but more specifically on the growth cycles of coral, by by looking at uh, a, um, an ideal formulation for that location with the the coral structure itself, uh, and coupled that with an accelerated uh, evolution of the coral family that you're trying to grow. And I don't want to call them hybridization because that's not it, but it's just uh, accelerating evolution. We're seeing anywhere from a 12 to to 18% increase in success rates over uh, the natural ecosystem itself. Uh, And I'm sure we can keep tweaking uh, as we go on and get even higher success rates, but that in itself gives uh, uh, tends to give a, a, a bit of hope as well. Definitely, I wish we could tweak the human being um, twelve to eighteen percent of its accelerated evolution as well. Maybe we wouldn't have these type, types of problems. <laughs> you know, uh, that's true. I mean, at the end of the day, all these solutions, all these potential solutions out there are nothing if, A, we don't implement them, and, B, if we don't change our ways. 
or maybe I should yes. say, hey, we don't change if we don't change our ways, and B, if we don't implement the the, the, the new innovative yes. solutions, because yes. the root problem stems in our everyday poor decision making. Either we're lazier, we don't have the right knowledge to make the right decision, or or what have you. We're influenced uh, negatively, influenced in 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 a direction where we make the wrong decision. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, when people ask me, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do, they're looking for that silver bullet answer, the one that, that universally addresses all the problems. And that's simply not the case in what we're facing yes. because the, the problems are, are, are the solution. The, the, look at where the problems root and stem from. It's in our everyday yes. decision-making process. So each and every one of us, you, me, your audience, each individual in your audience who is listening to this today are part of the solution. And that solution mm-hmm. is in changing the way we think and changing our decisions, not only for the environment, which is certainly a major part of this, not only mm-hmm. for the environment's health, which is also a part of it, but for our very own health and existence yes. on this planet. Because we, we, we can't afford to go bankrupt in this, in this ecosystem. We don't have a plan yes. to go to, and there is no such thing as a bailout loan. So even if you yes. don't care about the environment, God forbid, but even if you don't care about the environment, yes. it's about our future on this planet, and more specifically about our children's future on this planet. So we really need to pay attention to our actions. We are, as consumers, each and every one of us, are the ultimate decision makers, the ultimate vote takers, whenever we make that decision to use a plastic bag or a water bottle instead of grabbing a cup or, or having a filter if you want filtered water or, or what have you, or, or mm-hmm. anything. When you go to the supermarket, you know, use a seafood watch guide. Make better decisions on your, on your consumption. Better yet, be, you know, if you can, be, be, become a vegetarian. If you can't, at least make better choices in your omnivore uh, diet. Um, it's mm-hmm. better for the planet, of course, and it's better for you. There's not uh, a a fish in the supermarket or in the restaurant today that doesn't have some trace. uh, I'm sorry, 50% of them have some trace of microplastics in them at this point. So you're very, very much eating your own garbage. So we really have to be conscious of that fact of how far we've gone down that path and really make conscious efforts to, to stop what we're doing. Yes, you're absolutely right. I so appreciate your your making these points. Uh, we, in talking about the oceans and water health, there's so much, of course, to to look at. But we would be remiss not to bring up two enormous parts of it. One is plastics, which you just did, and the way they are so uh, literally strangulating sea life and has been doing so for, you know, umpteen years at this point. And thankfully, there are some major efforts that are taking place to turn that around. But I don't think that it's enough to, no pun intended, stem the tide. And I'd like to hear what your firsthand experience is of the plastics in different parts of the, uh, of the world's oceans, Fabian. And the other is fish stock, as we call it, you know, the actual volume of fish that are currently inhabiting our saltwater oceans, distinct from what it was even just 10 or 15 years ago, because apparently the whole world is overfished and the stock is completely depleted, or I mean, you know, very, very close. And as you say, all of the fish has 
microplastics in them, our own garbage. Of course, it's, everything is circular, and uh, it also has way too much mercury in them. And it's gotten to a point where, um, you know, restaurants are now well-known, even the finer restaurants, for uh, using fish that are, they change the name. They say it's wild, you know, salmon, wild-crafted salmon, but in fact it's really something else, and they disguise it in a way because there isn't enough salmon to actually serve on all the plates as one thing, and it's much more costly than the other fish. So that that's the small part of it. I'm not so concerned about the wealthy go to eat the at the fancy restaurants, but I am interested in knowing what your direct experience has been of the plastics in the ocean and the subject of uh, depletion of uh, ocean life, you know, in the terms of fish. Well, those two go hand in hand. Uh, the, yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm glad you, you mentioned those things because those are our barometers for how we've treated our planet, our, our, our life support system. And yeah. uh, for plastics, for example, when I, you know, there's not a place that I, I've gone to on this planet in the last 20 years as far removed from civilization as, it, as it's been, as far away from any kind of exploration as has ever uh, been possible, that I don't mm-hmm. see plastic in some fashion. So oh. we've, we've extend, we, we have reached the farthest reaches of our planet with these, this plastic debris. Virtually every piece of plastic on, that exists today uh, that's been manufactured, I'm sorry, in history, in the last 120 yes. years or 110 years, of plastic history mm-hmm. exists today. We dump over 1 million pounds of plastic debris in our oceans every hour of every day. So by oh, 2030, God. there will be more, more plastic by, by weight in our oceans than biomass. It, just yesterday, I saw a, uh, an article in the New York Times about a sperm whale washing up dead on shore, having choked on 47 pounds of plastic and haven't been able to pass it in its gut. So it's a very, very real problem. It's a very huge concern. Uh, it's, it's one that I just simply don't understand. We're, just on a pragmatic level, we're using a material that's not only known to be uh, a, a, a caustic and a, uh, that's an endocrine disruptor uh, because it's mm-hmm. based on, on uh, petroleum. Um, yes. But... It, it's one that, that uh, has uh, very real repercussions in learning and behavioral disabilities, physical disabilities, and yes. so on and so forth. There's a laundry list of things. Yes. And why are we building something that lasts 500 years or more to hold something like water, for example, or to, to, to wrap a toy that we rip off in 30 seconds or drink in, in 10 minutes? Uh, it makes mm-hmm. no sense. It makes no logical sense None. why we would do None. that. Um, and then on, on the subject of, of biomass, we, since the industrial fishing revolution of the late 1950s, where boats started using spotter planes and large purse uh, seine nets and drift nets and, and, um, um, uh, and, and have helicopters and so on and so forth, we have managed to wipe out almost 60% of our world's wild fish stocks. So, you know, we're quite literally going bankrupt. 
so yeah. it's it's very much time uh, to to change the course that we're set for ourselves for for multiple reasons for economic reasons for well for for health reasons uh, for our future viability and of course for the uh, the environment itself and the, and the well-being that it gives us on a daily basis uh, and it can happen we, there's no need in this day and age to continue being hunter gatherers in the ocean when we we can be farmers just like on land and we we need to stop eating the apex predators we don't eat by and large and some do but many don't eat lions and tigers and bears uh here uh, on, yeah. on the planet on, on on earth why are we eating the 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 billfish the uh, bluefin tuna the uh, you yeah. know the large predatory animals are the pelagics that take or sharks 10, 20 30 60 years or sharks uh that take you know decades to mature and have mm-hmm. very low offsprings just like we do uh it, yes. it, it it's insanity in of itself uh if we're going to eat protein from animals then we need to do that on on some of the lowest in the totem pole that are rapid growing and and regenerating animals and out there. and we need to do this yeah and we need to do this in a controlled environment and something that's not going to pollute more and something that is uh, is uh sustainable and has minimal impact on the environment now again like i said if you can become vegetarian great but that's not an ultimate solution either we all know that that 7.6 mm-hmm. billion people aren't going to do that but at the very least you know we can we can start changing the uh the ways in which we do things to provide that nutrients to those uh, those people around the world and provide a living for all those people who depend on those kinds of of industries uh to provide for their families there are solutions there are so many solutions out there we just need to implement them absolutely you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every week on radio as well as on television every Monday in Manhattan at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time now. And you can watch from your computer or your cell phone, actually, if you'd like, uh, at TV. And uh, please join us. Uh, we have shows just as we do on radio on uh, community television here in New York City. And if you are receiving our weekly newsletter, this is fantastic. And if not, we have it at abetterworld.tv in the right-hand column. It's free. It comes out once a week. And uh, we announce the shows and a lot of other good things that we have to support solutions, just as Fabian is talking about here, both having to do with personal and planetary health. So make sure you visit the website and uh, see what we have there for you. So today, uh, one other announcement, which is that on uh, Sunday, April 21st, we will be, will be holding the 12th Earth and World Peace Celebration at 4 West 43rd Street under the uh, great production work of Andrew Kane. I'll be the MC and the host. Fabien Cousteau, our guest today, will be the keynote speaker, and we'll be celebrating our beautiful, glorious Gaia, Pachamama, and we'll also be speaking about some of the realities that we're all facing, as we're talking about here today, as well as the solutions. And there'll be lots of good music, and there'll be a lot of fun, and I'd certainly encourage you all to make it. Just go to www.planetheart.org. 
That's planetheart.org if you're anywhere within a 100-mile radius of New York City on that day. Uh, please come and join us. So, Fabian, I've been so enjoying everything that you've been sharing. Some of it is a bitter pill, God knows, but you are, on one hand, seeing the true state of things, if you will, like the vast volume, for instance, of the plastics and the pollution that we're facing, and you're looking at the causes of that as well, poor education, ignorance, laziness. You know, there are a few different elements there, and you're also proposing a series of really innovative solutions. So if you stand back and look at the work that you've been doing and many of your colleagues have been doing, specifically around the oceans, uh, what do you see? What do, what do you forecast? Do you feel hopeful uh, regarding the work and, let's say, even the reduction in pollution over time through greater education? Or where do you stand with that? What's your overall kind of taking the temperature of it, of it if you will? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I, uh, I'm very encouraged in general for many reasons, uh, one of them is that um, you know things like your podcast are are becoming more and more uh, uh, prevalent, and people are more and more interested in mm-hmm. uh, in this kind of dialogue and in these kinds of conversations. People are starting to motivate young people nowadays have tools at their disposal that just a decade ago uh, we and we pretty much didn't have a decade and a half ago. So being able to communicate with virtually every single person on this planet through your mobile hmm. device is a powerful tool. We're seeing people taking on the mantle and the challenges that their local communities are facing, their local ecosystem is, uh, is facing, and are becoming uh, real, real innovators, uh, implementing solutions that not only provide for them and their families, but also are cleaning up the environment and, and, and uh, respecting it in a way that really does matter and in a way that, that uh, illustrates the kind of, uh, of life support system that we all depend on, one that we want to be, have be clean and healthy and something that we're proud to give back to our future generations. Uh, there are mm-hmm. a lot of folks out there uh, that are, are really interested in uh, things like, you know, you and I were talking about uh, black fuels versus alternative energies before the podcast, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, mm-hmm. things like OTEC, Ocean Thermal Energy, which has been around since the 1930s, which can provide yes. nine times the, the global uh, 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 needs of energy without creating a significant impact in our ocean. So, so there's a lot out yes. there that we can tap into and really just change the formulation that, that we've been based on to this day so that we can start living with this planet rather than living on this planet. Mm, I love that. I love that. That's a really fine distinction. And, you know, it really harkens back to our indigenous brothers and sisters. Of course, we are that as well, but there are certain, you know, groups of people all over the planet, and you know well because of your, uh, you know, large travels, that have been preserving that relationship 
and cultivating that relationship for the longest time and in many ways modeling that relationship of of humans to earth and what does that relationship really consist of uh, on all levels, biologically and spiritually. And we, how do I put it, uh, white male vertebrates, <laughs> um, have been a little slow in getting that message because we think we know everything. And so we wouldn't listen to the wise teachings of the ancient people who have had this long abiding relationship with Mother Earth. And we're paying the price for it right now. And yet now, through our actions, uh, many of which are very, very wonderful and productive, you know, we as an indigenous group, if you will, because of our development of science and technology, are able to utilize them, you know, for the good for the common good, not just for the um, the selfish good that so often has been the case until, well, things are changing, I think. So you're answering the question, which is a difficult one, because on one hand, I mean, you see all that's going on, Fabian, so up close, and uh, it's got to be utterly heartbreaking on one hand for you to bear witness through your filmmaking and the work of the Learning Center and everything else to see the the depletion and the destruction. And on the other hand, I think that that must be abated by the good work that you're doing in educating so many people around the world of what can take place and the kind of oceans we really can have with some, you know, pretty serious but steady attention. Your Your last thoughts. Well, I think you, you, you said it, you hit the nail right on the head. There's a, a lot of wisdom to inherit from our ancestors, from those who had learned from their mistakes and were, um, were great examples of a symbiotic relationship with Mother Earth. And with that, I remember distinctly uh, a, a sentence or a couple of sentences from the Iroquois Nation that uh, mm-hmm. that is basically the, the grand law that we should all stand by and use, which is for every deliberation, we must take into account the impact on our next seven generations. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. No, I love that phrase. And it really is a way of being so responsible for our actions at the end of the day, right? What we do here today, what we do, what we even think and say, which are forms of actions, are uh, they have a downstream effect. So let's be mindful. I mean, even your grandfather, you know, I shouldn't say even. I mean, he was a, a complete model and pioneer, and he heard that message long ago. I'd love for you, maybe you could share a story or two of what it was like to be with him and hear his wisdom as he was sharing it with you, your family, and, uh, of course, the rest of the world for so long. What was it like for you to be spending time with him on the oceans? Well, you know, I, I feel very blessed and lucky, not so much or not just because my grandfather was Jacques Cousteau, but because yes. I had grandparents who spent time with us 
and gave yes. us a, a glimmer and a glimpse into the wonders of the sea, the wonders of our planet, the, the knowledge that they were able to pass on to us, being able to take off on, on journeys. And I'm, uh, unfortunately, I'm old enough to have spent a, a fair bit of time on Calypso and, yes. uh, and Alcyon. <clears throat> and with that, being able to go on these journeys with our family, with the crew of Calypso, and experience these unique and amazing places was just magical. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So, um, there were so cool. times where where we dove with orcas in off of the islands of Papua New Guinea to uh, and, uh, you know being nose to nose with polar bears in the Arctic to hunting <laughs> with Inuit. Uh, and to oh, to God. going into the depths of the Amazon rainforest with some tribes that are yet to be uh, 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 westernized and are still uh, largely uncontacted, uh, and really being able to absorb this as, as as a child and growing up and having a, a much wider perspective on this planet of of our of our role as part of this web of life. Uh, and mm-hmm. and how fragile those tendrils are, and and how we really do need to be very vigilant and careful about how we treat that support system, not only for the ecosystem but for ourselves. And if we take care of the ecosystem, we take care of ourselves. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's that's the essence of life. It's it's survival on this planet in its purest yeah. form. But it's also the survival of our soul and of our future. Oh, boy. Wise words, my friend. Truly wise words. It's really true. It's our future and our soul. And how do we live with ourselves if we are responsible for the death of so many sentient beings? It's it's hard enough as it is just having some of our corporate brothers and sisters, if you don't mind my saying, doing what they're doing for their own interest at the expense of everyone. And, you know, it's another point I actually like to make. We use the the phrase we as though we all did X, Y, and Z. And, yeah, there is some level of that. But overall, I mean, you know, and please, I'd love to hear, you know, your comments about this. Um, and it's not like I'm looking to simply point fingers, except that, you know, in any family, there may be an older brother or sibling who is just a troublemaker, who just is a rabble rouser, and, you know, it would just do things for himself, for instance, at everyone else's expense in the family, and then that becomes part of the community, and then that becomes a part of the larger society. There are those people, for whatever the reason, I don't understand, you know, kind of the uh, the heavenly mandate here exactly, but but they just look out for themselves. And, of course, we can analyze that psychologically and all of that, and I actually spend a fair amount of time doing that kind of thing. But, uh, spoilers, and they end up spoiling the soup for everyone. And I think in large measure, and sometimes it's winning and sometimes it's unwitting, and I understand that. Um, and I, you know, make 
complete compassionate allowance for that, if you don't mind my saying. But at the same time, there are those that are simply just out for themselves at everyone's expense, Fabian. And when we look at the plastics question, because we've known about the danger of them for so long, we recognize the horror of killing, as you were saying before, you know, sharks and whales, no less, and large, large sea life, uh, the predators. So we go, why is that happening at all? Why are Look, I remember when I was 14 and I was driving through Bridgeport, Connecticut, near where we lived, with my father, and I saw the smokestacks. Probably the first time I saw what I considered devastating air pollution. And I said, Dad, why is this happening? This is insane. Don't the owners of those smokestacks have children? Don't they understand what they're doing to our, I didn't use the word, but kind of collective uh, life here? You know, but that that was the gist. He said, well, son, you know, it's probably illegal, but I'm not sure. And um, I don't know what the answer is. And I said, well, it's darned unethical no matter how you look at it. And I think really, Fabian, that was the beginning of my journey in a way as an environmentalist um, and seeking to preserve our beautiful earth. And it kind of began there. So each of us has those moments of realization, if you will, Um, and I never understood and I don't really fully understand to this day how people can just think of themselves and look at a spreadsheet and say, oh, this means I'm going to have more money, even though it's going to pollute the lungs and the the bodies of people all over the planet. I just, I, it's hard for me to simply digest that. I think you're right. Excuse me, I'm, I'm choking on something there. Um, I think, I think you're you right. need some water. <laughs> water for Fabian, yeah. please. <laughs> I'm feeling a little dry. I haven't gone diving in at least a, a few days. Um, <laughs> See? <laughs> That's a lesson I'm for us all. Very dry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the ocean, uh, why do people uh, uh, migrate to the ocean? Why are the majority of, of uh, uh, groups of people living on or near the ocean. Uh, why do people uh, go for vacation uh, on the beach near the ocean? Sure. Uh, it's because it gives us a sense of well-being. And that's, that's right. not, not to divert from your, your, your question. Um, no. You know, it's a very, it, it is a very poignant question. There's, in history, if you look at the evolution of, of man, of, of human beings, um, yes. there are, team players, people that, that group together in, in, in common good to be able to survive and, and develop yes. and thrive. And, and, and that's how uh, the first uh, cavemen, let's say, uh, were able right. to, to fend off some much larger and more powerful predators. And occasionally mm-hmm. there's some that, are, uh, that go solo and, and, and go out there and um, and are, are much more selfish in, in, uh, in nature. Um, and yes. unfortunately, uh, you know, whether it's conscious or not, uh, whether it's, uh, it's motivated by, uh, by experiences or by DNA, I mean, all those things, of course, are, are variances of that, that type of individual. And, and mm-hmm. um, we, what, what I guess at the end of the day I, I would say is, one needs to lead by example, and when, when you're, whether you're in a, a, a position of power, uh, a, a president or something of that sort, president of a company, president of a, of a country, or whether mm-hmm. you're 
an individual in a factory or, or an individual uh, at home, you lead by example. You can't wait for other people to show what to do. Uh, you have to do it yourself. And by doing so, you lead, you, you, you create a positive momentum, one that uh, is, uh, is, is uh, influence, influencing of others, one that is hopefully addictive and becomes mm-hmm. uh, something that is motivating others to do it by, by example. And then all of a sudden you, re- you realize that you have a positive influence and that momentum fills up that proverbial bucket one drop at a time. And if we all do this, or if the majority of us do this, those individuals, those, those, those uh, bad actors, so to speak, that are out there, are those who don't necessarily care as much about their children as they should or about their neighbors yes. or about the future, will by and yes. large be uh, tossed aside uh, because as, uh, you know, as consumers, we're the ultimate vote takers. The ultimate uh, vote is yes. in our everyday decisions. And if we go up to a company and that we solicit for a product or a service or what have you, and we say, you know what, I like your product, I like your service, but I don't like how you're providing it or what exactly you're providing. So I want to keep shopping here. I want to keep being able to, to be your customer, being able to, 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 to be a support system. But, I, I, you know, I'd like it this way. Otherwise, I will find an alternative. And whether that alternative is buying an, an alternative uh, type of fish, going to a different supermarket, uh, buying a different car that's a, an, e, uh, an electric vehicle or hybrid instead mm-hmm. of, of a gas guzzler, whether, you know, whatever the, whatever the decision is in your everyday life that you can make as an individual, that, that you're capable of doing as an individual, do it. Don't wait for someone else to do it. And, and, you know, encourage others to do the same thing. I think the, the more that, that we are proactive and not reactive, the more likely mm-hmm. it is that we'll get out of this mess. From your mouth to God's ears, my friend, I so agree with you. Those are really encouraging, motivating words, and uh, I really believe our audience here at A Better World will really absorb those and are very much aligned with all that you're saying. And it's um, been a total pleasure, Fabian, to have you on. Would you uh, share your website with our audience or a couple of them so they can go and if they want to buy the book or if they want to get involved in the Learning Center, uh, they can do so. Uh, the, the book is very easy. It's called The Great White Shark Adventure. It should be available at any books, local bookstore as well as online through those mediums uh, such as Amazon and so on. Uh, and um, as far as my personal website, it's Fabian Cousteau. It's F-A-B-I-E-N-C-O-U-S-T-E-A-U.com. Beautiful. Well, Thank you again for being a guest today, and we'll have to have you on again to carry on this very rich dialogue and for us to learn in greater depth the work you're doing and the solutions at hand. And uh, it's just, it it merits our paying a lot of attention to this. So uh, thanks, and you'll come back again when we have a moment. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time, and uh, I hope to see you on Earth Day. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thanks again, and we'll be in touch very soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Fabien Cousteau talking with us about his uh, vast experience, actually, with with the ocean and with the earth and with his grandfather and with sharks and his filmmaking uh, underground, underwater, over the water, on the ground, and on and on. It's just so rich to learn from him who has had so much experience directly face-to-face in so many different environments in this world, on this earth, even places, as he said, that are very, very remote. And yet, and yet, there are plastics everywhere. There was some fellow on television recently, him and his friend, who were... uh, on one of the Fijian islands and they were so upset by the vast volumes of plastic in this otherwise utterly pristine and gorgeous environment that they traveled halfway around the world to get to, that they took on the task of, uh, of gathering the plastic out of the water Every day it became a practice for them, and I, I think they have went on to start an entire, uh, you know, a nonprofit organization that uh, encourages people to do that kind of action. That's the kind of thing that Fabian is really talking with us about here, and what he is doing in his way, and we here at A Better World, of course, are doing our way. And it's through education, it's through telling the truth as we see it, and encouraging, inspiring people to get into action along these lines. Because, well, our life actually depends on it. So, with that said, I want to just thank all of you for tuning in again today. I know people are listening from all over, from India and Taiwan and Philippines and Mexico and South Africa and UK and Canada, of course. And wow, it's just really, really wonderful that uh, we are reaching so many people. And if you would go to our website at betterworld.tv, get on the uh, list of the newsletter. It only goes out once a week. You will not be deluged, believe me. Um, and uh, we're a small organization, but with a loud voice. So, your participation in uh, listening and forwarding our links to those you think should hear them is of greatest uh, importance, and we so appreciate. We're also a nonprofit. What we have in the United States is called a 501c3, so your donations and contributions to us help us stay on the air and survive and thrive and sustain. So please know that. And we also have a series of really wonderful um, uh, organic products for health, for getting the glyphosate out of our bodies. We have a $50 discount code on our website. If you have any questions about any of it, uh, contact me directly at mjr at abetterworld.net. 
<clears throat> That's my direct email address, mjr at abetterworld.net. If you are interested in any of the coaching services, personal executive communication coaching, stress management, and biofeedback, all of that is available through mjr at abetterworld.net. You can read more about those at mitchellrabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N.com. We welcome all of you and your participation in any way in our A Better World family and community. So last, I'll just remind you that April 21st, Sunday, is the 12th Earth and World Peace Day celebration uh, Andrew Kane is the producer. I am the MC and the host again. I uh, really enjoy doing this. We have a fabulous group of people. And today's guest, Fabien Cousteau, will be the keynote speaker. And he is so articulate. He is so knowledgeable. I was so impressed. We met a few years ago at the United Nations at a uh, uh, mutual friends uh, film screening. And um, we had a chance to get to know each other a little bit then and chat. And I've been uh, eager to have him on ever since, and this was the opportunity to do so. And I'm very grateful for his presence here on and at Better World. So with that said, thank you all yet again, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.